Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. Good morning, church. I'm so glad to be able to worship with you today. We're going to turn our attention to Acts chapter 4 today and work through a passage of Scripture together. So if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles, take them out, and uh, and we're going to read along together today. And I'm going to pause from time to time and just make some commentary statements about some things that's going on, and then we'll uh, we'll work our way through the passage. As the Spirit changes a person... Uh, a person's character begins to change as well, right? So character change is the proof that there is spiritual change. I think the scripture bears that out. The character changes are proof of spiritual changes. And I don't believe that there is a better picture in scripture than the early church to prove that point. So today we're going to work our way through this passage. If you will turn your attention to verse one of chapter four. And so I'm going to, again, as we work through it, I'm going to stop and make some Blaine statements. So everything I'm reading right now is not directly from Scripture. I'm going to stop from time to time and and elaborate on some things. Uh, Draw your attention to a few statements and phrases. Verse 1, And as they, they being Peter and John, this is just after uh, in in Acts chapter 3, when uh, they ended uh, last uh, last week uh, in chapter 3 when they were uh, uh, experiencing uh, the healing and uh, speaking into the life of the, the man who was lame for today we'll find out for 40 years of his life and, uh, and, and they go into the temple and they're worshiping and as they're coming out everyone is taking notice of this lame man walking and Peter and John uh, launch into a, a sermon if you will and so that's what's happening here and as they were speaking to the people the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. And they were greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and they were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now I want you to notice how important that is. They're not proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. We're already past that. We've already been talking about the resurrection of Jesus, but now we're talking about that the resurrection of Jesus can belong to you. You too can experience the resurrection. So proclaiming in the name of Jesus the resurrection from the dead for all of us. Verse 3, And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. So rather than letting them go, they decided to keep them close and put them in jail overnight. But many of those who had heard the word believed. That is, that quick as Peter and John are preaching about their future resurrection in Jesus Christ, the number of the men who believe came to be about 5,000. I want you to look at the exponential growth that is happening here. So when the Holy Spirit had fallen and Peter began to preach to those who were there in Jerusalem and Israel, uh, there were 3,000 souls. But today there were 5,000 men who came to know Jesus Christ. And so through the testimony of the disciples, there starts to be this explosive, expansive growth for the kingdom of God. Verse 5, on the next day, this is the next morning, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, 
the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander. Let me stop there for a moment and say that when Jesus was uh, just a very, very young boy, uh, Annas was the high priest. Uh, He didn't serve in that capacity. He was removed from that capacity after only about 10 years or so. But he remained one of the most influential people in all of Jerusalem. An incredible powerhouse, Annas was. He was a political leader, and even though he didn't have the official official capacity as the high priest, everyone still looked at Annas as the high priest. Currently, Caiaphas is the high priest. And while Scripture doesn't say it clearly here, Caiaphas was the stepson of of uh, Annas. Uh, Caiaphas had married Annas as, as daughter. Uh, John, uh, this is not the Apostle John, this is the president of the Jerusalem synagogue and Alexander. And quite honestly, we are completely unsure of who Alexander was. But we know that Annas, even though he wasn't in an official capacity, everyone still looked at him as the as the high priest. That's why uh, when Luke is writing this, still refers to him as the high priest. And uh, in fact, Annas was so powerful that for five generations, his sons uh, served. He had five sons that served in the capacity of, of high priest. All right. So just wanted to give you a framework of who is in the mix because it's the same ones that were in the mix when Jesus was arrested. And all who were the high priestly family. All right. So when they had set them in the midst, they inquired Such an important question. By what power or by what name did you do this? And then Peter, notice this, underline this in your, in your Bibles in verse, at verse eight, filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter uh, Peter is not speaking on his own accord. Peter is speaking from an overflow, from a, a filling of the Holy Spirit. And here's what he said to them. Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you. In other words, if your real question is, how did this lame man walk? Then here's your answer to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Christ Jesus of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you. He doesn't just answer the question. He launches into his own personal sermon for them. The builders, you are the builders and you rejected him. He's become the cornerstone. And here's something you've got to know, verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else. Remember who he's talking to. He's talking to the religious Jews who had the only means of salvation. And what Peter is proclaiming here is, you can keep talking about salvation all you want, but there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved than Jesus Christ. Now let's skip down to verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. In other words, Peter and John should not have this authority within them. And it wasn't the authority of their words. It wasn't their authority of their actions. It was something different. It was an authority that came from some other place. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. See, their actions and their abilities and their responses defied their nature. 
Verse 14, but seeing the man who was healed, that was the testimony. That's the thing we have to explain away some way. He's seeing the man who was healed standing beside them. They had nothing to say in opposition. You know, we can accuse Peter and John. We can throw them in jail. We can accuse them of blasphemy. But the one thing we can't do is explain away this man who is jumping and leaping and praising the Lord. Verse 15, But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? So the solution isn't obvious, and uh, we really need to cover our tracks. And here's the, here's the terrible news all right, for them. We can't explain away this healing. We know that it's by the name of Jesus Christ that this man, this man is walking. We know that it is by the name of Jesus Christ that these men are preaching the resurrection. We know it's by the name of Jesus Christ that Peter and John are coming in here with such authority. But rather than believing and trusting in the name of Jesus, they're still trying to cover their tracks. They know that Jesus is who he said he is. They're just not interested. Back to verse 16. For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further, so we can't stop it, but let's contain it. Let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they know it's true, but they refuse to believe it, to repent, and to follow Now listen, Jesus is still doing the exact same work today and these testimonies are still just as obvious. And sometimes I think for the church of Jesus Christ to be able to speak blessing, to be able to speak healing, to be able to speak with authority that doesn't come from within ourselves, the church still has that authority today. But we're afraid of the few. But when we restrain ourselves and we keep ourselves silent, and we believe the, and we listen to the fear. What about the five thousand that would give their life to Jesus? Sometimes I think we sacrifice the five thousand for just the few who have a negative opinion, or the net, or the few that we are afraid of. So they called them, verse eighteen, and they charged them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. They they're giving them what we would call today a gag order. Can't talk about this anymore. We're going to limit the effectiveness of this testimony. Verse 19, listen to this, write it down, underline it clearly. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. And when they had further threatened them and let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for they were all praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. And when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them, uh, which was, you know what, you're in trouble and shut it, we're going to shut you down and we're on to you. We're watching you. We're following you around. We're, we're against you and we're not going to let up on you. And when their friends had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, I want you to listen to this prayer. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said to them, and they begin to quote Psalm 2. They're drawn and directed by the scriptures, not from feeling. 
Their lives are being threatened. Their futures are being threatened. The truth is being threatened. The valuable name of Jesus is being threatened. And what do they do? They don't react. They lift their voice to the heavens and they begin to quote scripture back to the Lord. And they said, uh, by the way, this is the same formula as before, just when they were waiting on the Holy Spirit. So they have learned how to wait on this empowering Scripture and prayer, Scripture and prayer, Scripture and prayer. Scripture helps us pray. Prayer helps us understand Scripture. This is a excellent, excellent discipline in the life of a believer. Here's the, here's the quote. Why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The king of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. End quote. But the prayer continues. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Now the Father was in control during the most difficult time. This is talking about the arrest and the death of Jesus, and certainly he would be in control now. Verse 29, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. I want you to know that they're not praying for God to take away their threats or to limit the power of their enemies. They're praying that God would give them boldness to bear up under the threats. How often do we ask God to take our trouble away when our prayer needs to be for God to bear us up and to give us boldness? Not in our power, Lord, but by your Holy Spirit. Verse 30, While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Uh, notice as they cap this, this, this prayer, God will do His work. God is going to accomplish His work. But what they're saying here is, and use us while you do it, Lord. Make us bold as lions. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were, again, underline it, all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. Verse 32, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now what I want to do quickly uh, as we head into close today is to compare this first century event with a, another first century event involving the exact same people. But it, it involves them before their empowering. Now those who have rejected Christ and, and, and operate within the realm of selfishness instead remain completely unchanged in their character. I'm thinking about Annas and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and Pilate and Herod and all of these others remain completely unchanged. Their, their role and their attitude and their expectations and their desires have not changed at all since the very beginning. But those who have given their life to Jesus Christ have been radically transformed and these two events prove it. 
Luke tells us that while the just after the final supper in the upper room, uh, Jesus told them that there was a betrayer among them. And they began to argue about who it was going to be. And that argument led into a greater argument. And that argument was about who among them would be the greatest in the kingdom. Who would be the greatest in Jesus' kingdom? And you think about that incredible, impactful moment. And here the disciples are arguing about their selfishness. <laughs> Embarrassingly selfish, in fact. But look at verse 2 of Acts, chapter, uh, of Acts chapter 4. They're not talking about being great on the earth. They're talking about an eternal resurrection. Life already beyond this one. They've blistered right through this life already. Not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. I am been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, He lives in me and through me. <laughs> they have already moved through death and anticipating a real life. This is what the Spirit's empowerment will do. It will help you take your eyes off of this world and firmly place your hope on that world. In this world, we're jockeying for position. We're competing against each other. But if we will put our minds on the kingdom and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, we will be able to set our minds on things above and we'll be able to walk in that empowerment. Instead of selfishness, we'll walk it with empowerment. Now, not long ago, Peter was trying his best to escape the crowd. You remember the night of Jesus' arrest. And he was avoiding people because he didn't want to be identified with Jesus. But look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Peter is drawing attention to himself. And he is loudly proclaiming his affiliation with the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he's teaching not only that of Jesus, but you too can experience death burial, and resurrection in Jesus Christ. In the garden, you remember Peter cut off Malchus's ear, the, the guard, in order to protect himself. But in Acts chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, Peter is offering salvation by the name of Jesus to the most difficult politicians and religious leaders. One day, Peter is hacking uh, ears off in order in self-preservation. But today, he is stepping right up to those who would have his head to speak to them about the forgiveness that comes by the name of Jesus Christ. It's hard to imagine greater fear than what Peter expressed when he was running from the pressure of the guards in the garden. In fact, all of the disciples running away because of the fear that they were, were under. Mark actually tells us uh, in his gospel about a, a young man that was dressed only in uh, a linen cloth. Uh, and I, I don't really know how to explain that all the way through, but I'm just going to simply say it was late at night when they went to the garden to pray. Perhaps he was uh, already making himself very informal, super comfortable, ready for a long night's sleep as, as soon as he could, uh, as soon as they finished with their praying. Uh, but I think that this man, we don't know who he is. He's never named in scripture, but his name is not important. What is important is he identifies, helps us identify with every other disciple. The scriptures say that they seized Jesus and this young man was the only other one that scripture says that they seized. But when they seized him, he was able managed to get away, leaving his cloth behind. And so here he is, seized, grabbed by the clothes, the only clothes he had on. Jesus isn't trying to get away, so they seize him and they take him away. This man is fighting to get away because he is so uh, horribly terrified. And he would rather run through the, the garden and into the woods naked than to risk being 
here in the garden with Jesus. You think about the death that was coming that night for him versus the embarrassment and the loss of reputation. And I think about how terrified these men must have been that night. I mean, they thought they were so tough. They made vows and they made promises. But here we know that they were taking their discipleship for granted. This proved that their faith hadn't even been tested yet. And when it was tested, it wasn't there. And I think so many of us are in the same situation. We think we, we, sp- we make bold proclamations and we make real strong vows to the Lord. But when our faith is tested, we find out that our faith isn't really even there. I wonder what we would do under that same fear. What would we do if we were seized like Jesus was seized? Why was it mentioned after the fact? I think it's to tell us that for those who live with regret of running away, that it can be restored. You look at the early church and you can see how people running through the woods, terrified of death, can be restored back to the church, back to Christ. doesn't matter His name. What matters is His restoration. Listen, I want you to write this down and remember it forever. It is not your failures that matter in this life. It is the strength of Jesus Christ that matters in this life. Take your eyes off your failures and put your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Here they are in verse 13 of Acts chapter 4. These men who were running naked into the woods with boldness eclipsing their fear because they were empowered with the boldness of the Holy Spirit. Truly, old things have passed away and all things have become new. Again, let me remind you of the unchanged nature of the spiritual leaders. Nothing sticks to Jesus. We accuse Him, but nothing sticks. He's done nothing wrong. So how do we destroy Him? The same thing is here. Nothing sticks to the followers of Jesus. So what do we have to do to destroy them? Even faced with peril and jail, even death, how does Peter and John respond now? Remember how weak and how cowardly they acted before and how quickly they bowed down before and and remember how quickly they were to denounce even knowing Jesus, how quick they were to lock the doors in fear of the outside world. But now when they're facing permanent jail time or worse, Peter says when facing the prospect of jail or death that they ought to obey God than man. The line is drawn. Those who proclaim that they are on God's side, you are not on God's side. We who are accused, we are on God's side. I'm going to let you decide if we should obey you or we should obey God because you do not speak for God. But there's a, there's a hidden truth here. And, uh, it's of course hidden in the Greek. Should we obey you or should we obey God? Now, the, the word here uh, in verse 20 is we cannot help but speak of the things that we've seen and heard. That word cannot is the word dunamay. Okay? It sounds very similar to a word we used a couple of weeks ago, dunamis. Dunamis means the explosive power of the Holy Spirit. Dunamai is the word used here for cannot. What Peter is actually saying in their language is this. We do not have the power not. We do not have the power to be restrained when it comes to speaking the truth of Jesus Christ. <laughs> that Compare that with their previous power. 
We will not believe. We will not speak the name of Jesus. And here he is saying, we do not have the power not to speak. The power we have now is the explosive power of the Holy Spirit. We cannot restrain it. It is on, it's the testimony of our lips. And listen, church, I want you to hear this so clearly. When we silence the testimony of Jesus in our life, we are listening to the power of the world, to our own selfishness. This is life before empowerment. But remember, when we give our life to Jesus Christ, we have explosive power. And that explosive power allows us to declare an explosive gospel. So when we excuse it away, this is not about ministry gifts. This is not about spiritual gifts. This is not about natural abilities. This is about the work of the Holy Spirit alive in each one of us. We cannot, even Timothy, when Paul's talking to Timothy, he tells Timothy to do the work of the evangelist. He doesn't say, if you have the spiritual gift of evangelism. We are all called to live boldly, to live loudly, to identify daily with with Jesus Christ and to proclaim His resurrection to everyone with in earshot. So many times we bow down to the Annases and to the Caiaphases and to the Johns and the Alexanders when there are 5,000 men that would say yes to Jesus. I want you to feel qualified. I want you to know that you are enabled and I want you to know that you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to be that voice in your generation. Let's go back to the garden. When the disciples were threatened, they retreated from each other. And they ran away, caring only about themselves. But look at Acts chapter 4, verse 23. Now when they're threatened, they run into each other. The first place that John and Peter go is right back into this holy huddle of their friends, the church. Empowerment helps us find our identity in Christ, boldness, power, and also the value of community. So what did they do when they ran back into one another? Well, I don't think they were whining when they explained what the priests had said. I think they were explaining what was the response of the collective group. Let's go get them. Let's embarrass them. Let's overthrow them. There's more of us now than there are of the leaders. No, their response was to turn to the Scriptures and to pray. Remember how often Jesus told them about the Father's plan of the cross and His death and His resurrection, but they couldn't listen. They couldn't understand. But now that the Holy Spirit has come upon them, they are submitting to the authority of the Father. Verses 25 and 26. And they're asking for one thing, not for their circumstance to change. They're asking that God would grant them boldness. So what did this empowerment for them? Just a few short days, they have received the Holy Spirit. And this first church is healing people in the powerful name of Jesus. Now they are boldly witnessing to people in the powerful name of Jesus. And at no time through the rest of the New Testament are those commands, qualifications, or empowerment lifted from the church. We still have access to this empowerment. But God is waiting for us to step into it and to be filled with His Spirit on a daily on a daily uh, 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 schedule as a daily habit, because now they are about His provision, His kingdom, His glory. Their worldly possessions don't belong to them anymore, because finally they were living empowered and they were praying. Finally, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And use us, Lord, to bring your kingdom 
to the territory that you have given us. I wonder, can you pray like that? Can you boldly pray, Lord, I'm not worried about my circumstances. I'm worried about not having your empowerment for my circumstances. The only way that you can pray that way is to receive the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And that's something that you get on day one when you follow Jesus as your Savior. The life now becomes not about circumstances. It comes about testifying to the goodness of a life eternal, of a hope that we have to come, and that we can actually walk in the kingdom of Jesus Christ right now. Through transformation, transformation is proven by character. And it changes like this we see in the first church. All they had before the Holy Spirit was excuses. All they have after the Holy Spirit is empowerment. I wonder which one typifies your faith as you live it. And I know quarantine, we can make all kinds of other excuses right now. And maybe and maybe they're more than excuses. But I want you to start getting your head right. I want us to start processing and strategizing what is my life in Christ going to look like when we return back into uh, closer than six feet from one another. Uh, and let's begin to pray for boldness instead of praying just over our circumstances. If you want to talk about what that looks like in your own personal context, I'd love to have that conversation with you. If, you, if you're ready to receive the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want to talk with you about that as well. Uh, so message me or comment here. I'll get back with you or you can call me or email me. However you, you want to get in touch, I'll leave that to you. But I want you to experience this. If you have not accepted the Holy Spirit, if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to know that He is still available and He is still doing wonders. But secondly, church, I'm talking to you. If you've made excuses and you're living in those excuses, I want you to know that there is there is a future for us and that future is now. And I want you to feel empowered to speak boldly in the name of Jesus Christ. And may our changed character tell his story. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. We thank you for all the opportunities that you give us, especially the opportunity of empowerment. And now, may we, as we pray, be filled with the Holy Spirit. May we be completely surrendered to to your will in what you want to do through us in this world. We love you and we thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.